We have a lot of individuals at CCF who have been faithful over the long haul, over a lot of years. They've opened their home very consistently. Tom and Karen are a good example of that. And, uh, you know, that's the life of the church. That's the hard work of the church. That's shepherding people. And so we are so grateful that God has given us a good, an ample supply of individuals like that who uh, help to lead the church in healthy ways. Well, I want to do a couple of things before we open the scriptures. You can open your Bibles. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today, so you can make your way there. But I want to do a couple of things before we get into the scriptures today. First of all, I cannot see you, Balcony, but welcome, Balcony. Can I hear a shout out there? Yeah, all right. You're up there. And, uh, you know, a little closer to heaven, right? I mean, that's why you love the balcony so much, a little closer to heaven. I also want to do something today that I have done uh, periodically, and that is to give a shout out to a young person who has made a major life accomplishment. I was uh, last night at a court of honor for somebody who just fulfilled their Eagle Scout award, and that person is Aaron Johnson. Yeah. Last night, I think I realized, again, I think I've known this, but I think I realized in some brand new ways that the Eagle Scout is a, it's a, a merit that is accrued over a long period of time, like a decade of service and a decade of awards and, and all the badges that you're earning along the way. And it's no small matter, and it's a, a great life achievement for Aaron, and we want to uh, congratulate him. And we want to uh, just share the, this time with him of joy in this major life accomplishment. So if you see Aaron, perhaps after the service, give him a high five for a job well done. Well, today we are continuing in the series that I have called Experience Community. And as we kick off the life of the church again this year, we're learning what it means to live in community with each other. We discovered last week that community comes from the Greek word koinonia, and so whenever we are translating and you see the word community or partnership or sharing oftentimes in the scriptures, that word is koinonia that's behind it. And what we learned last week was that community has this, this dimension of actually something that we share and meaning that we give to somebody else, or it could mean something that we're sharing in together. So it's something that we're participating together in, and it's a common experience that we're having together. So it's both dimensions of that that deal with the idea of biblical community. The passage today is going to paint the picture of what community was like in the early church, what was happening in the early church. And let me give a little bit of background before we read the passage for today. If you recall, Jesus has died. He's left his disciples and he's told them he wants them to pray in the upper room before he returns, or excuse me, before the Holy Spirit is to come. And in fact, they do that. They go and wait in this upper room, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and they begin to do some very miraculous acts within Jerusalem where they are. And what happens is this former guy who is a bumbling fisherman, and he denies Christ three times, and he, you know, he, he's not the guy you think is leadership quality. Peter arises, and he is restored by Jesus. He ends up preaching a very powerful message at Pentecost, there's individuals that are all over the city because they're there for a religious holiday. The religious holiday, again, is the holiday of Pentecost in, in, in the Jewish times, and they're there for that reason. Well, they end up hearing Peter preach about the risen Christ, and 3,000 people trust Christ at a single moment. 
I want to ask you the question, what would it be like if 3,000 people were to trust Christ in Edmonds? I wonder what would happen. I, yeah, I give a shout out. Woo! I, I give a shout out for that too. That would be fantastic. If 3,000 people were to trust Christ, how would that change maybe the way that you're living, at least for a period of time? How would it change the way that you are spending time? How would it change perhaps the way you're using your home? Especially if all those individuals were from out of town and they were here for a short time. Well, the church opens its calendar, it opens its homes, it opens, they open their lives in order for them to care for these individuals who have recently come to know Christ. And their desire is for them to have more time to learn about Christ before they now uh, disperse and go back to all the places around the world where they were living at that time. Well, that's a little background we're going to pick up today. It's Acts chapter 2, and I'm starting in verse 42. If your Bibles are open or perhaps your app is open, you can follow along with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to introduce you to somebody today. His name is Dr. Manfred Rothstein. And I've got a picture of Dr. Rothstein here. He was a boy who was actually grew up in Baltimore. And he collected baseball cards but when he grew up, he gave up childish things, and he became a physician, and he started collecting something that is a very rare collection. It is, and you can see it there, back scratchers. That is his collection, is back scratchers. He's collected back scratchers over many decades. He now has more than 1,000 back scratchers from 51 countries. I've got another picture here that's a little more of a close-up on what some of his back scratchers are, and maybe you can try to guess where they came from. He's in the Guinness Book of World Records, and he entered that in uh, 2007 for one of the weirdest collections of all times. I love that. He's probably there twice because he's probably got the biggest back scratcher collection, but he's also got a weird collection. You might say that Dr. Rothstein developed a devotion for back scratchers, a devotion for back scratchers. Why? Because every time he ever goes anywhere, if he goes into like an antique store, the first thing he goes up to the clerk and he asks, do you have any back scratchers? You know, because he's always on the hunt for back scratchers to add to his collection. You know, it's always on his mind. It's always on his thoughts. What's the design of the latest back scratcher? And what are the materials that they've used? I think you'll appreciate this. Uh, he is a doctor and he's a dermatologist so it makes sense that he would be interested in places on the body that have an itch that can't, you can't quite get to. And so the back scratcher is very appropriate for him. And again, Dr. Back Scratcher is his name in this uh, town where he lives. And he's got this odd collectible, but he loves it. In the passage today, it tells us that the church has a deep devotion. They have a deep devotion, and we're going to find out some of the things that they are devoted to or some of the experiences that they are devoted to. I want to remind you about what devotion means just in the Bible. Uh, devotion means this. 
It means a profound dedication or an earnest attachment to a cause or a person. So it means we've got an earnest attachment to something. A devotion means that we've got where thoughts and our minds are around that thing all of the times or that, that, that person all of the time. And so I wonder what some of the things are that you are devoted to today. Uh, one of the things I think many of us might say that we're devoted to might be our first cup of coffee in the morning. Not much gets done before that first cup of coffee in the morning. And some of you have a devotion, as it were, to that, uh, that, that uh, we, I guess we could even say drug in some ways, because caffeine is involved in that coffee. Another thing that I think that we have a devotion to is our cell phones. Think about the number of times that you look at your cell phone and have an attachment to it. I want to encourage that in early October, there's going to be another round of the TechWise family that's going to be led by Pastor Eric and Pastor Nick. And if you're interested in learning about the dynamics of how you use a cell phone within your family, which, uh, clue in here, all of you should be if you have a family. <laughs> all of you should be the way that that, that device is affecting the, the dynamics of your family. They're offering a four-week class, and I really encourage you to consider that. I found this car cartoon that I really love. Uh, here's two, some kids that are playing on the playground. At Susie, hashtag, you're it. And this is what the new dynamics of perhaps playtime for kids looks like in a digital age. And we're all too aware. You step into a coffee shop today and you see some young people and, you know, sure, they've got some coffee in front of them, but they're all looking at a device. And it's like, put that down. You're right in front of each other. Please mingle, talk. Because, you know, this is something that, again, is good for you, but we all have this perhaps unhealthy attachment to our cell phones. Those are some things that we are devoted to, and we're going to learn some things that the early church is devoted to, and by extension, we also should be devoted to. And I'm going to call these experiences that they are devoted to touch points. Touch points. A touch point is a point of contact for a group of people or a point of interaction for a group of people uh, together. And the touch point is the spot at which we share that commonality. I want to explore the passage today and find out what they're devoted to and the touch points that they have that, des that, that uh, deserve their devotion or earn their devotion. And I'm in verse 42, and verse 42 says this. It says, and they devoted themselves, there it is, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. So there's four things that they're devoted to, and I want to unpack each one of those with you. Later in the passage, there's two more things that they're devoted to. And so I want to cover all six of those. We won't cover any of them in depth, but I want to touch base today on these touch points of what earns the disciples' devotion. And we'll start off with the very first one. The first one is God's Word. The first thing that they are devoted to, at least in the Scriptures, is it says the apostles' teaching. Remember that the apostles were the ones that spent time with Jesus, three years with Him. They're the ones that watch Him live, die, and resurrect. They're also the ones that are now leading the church, and they're the ones that are writing the Bible that we have today. We could say today, we also are devoted to the apostles' teaching because we're devoted to the Scriptures. And the Scriptures are the things that we take in very regularly. They're a touch point for us in staying true to God in the Scriptures. Where the Spirit reigns, well, there is a love for the Scriptures always. When the Spirit's alive, there will be an aliveness towards the Scriptures. And we're always in the process of learning the Bible. We're in the process of studying the Bible. We're in the process of, of, uh, uh, of making sure that that's a, an adamant part of our lives 
And anytime the church gets weak or flabby in the scriptures, well, the church is in real trouble at that moment. I love the way that Peter says it. He says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow in your salvation. And what he means by pure spiritual milk there is, grow in the scriptures, grow in God's word, because that is what helps you grow in your life of salvation, and your, your life of having Christ manifest within you. You know, today, in our very uh, image-driven culture, in our very video-driven culture, uh, it's very countercultural to read at all, especially maybe even to read the Bible. Uh, I want to give you some statistics here that I looked up this week. Did you know that 27% of Americans have read no portion of a book this year or no full book this year? So they never even cracked a book, in other words, 27%. Men, we are at even more risk of that being true of us. 33% of men have not cracked a digital book or a paper book during the course of this year. And so again, that's something that is seemingly countercultural. And anytime we're saying, read the scriptures, we're saying we're doing something that perhaps is very uh, different. I'm also very well aware that reading the Bible is, I think, even more difficult than other aspects of reading because the genre of literature in the Bible is so diverse and there can be some things there that you don't understand. In fact, I had somebody who trusted Christ with me and he said to me, he goes, you know, I've read a little portion of the Bible now, and I think John Grisham has a few things to teach the Bible authors. You know, he knows how to write a story, and some of these guys could really learn from him. Now, I might take exception to that, but I hear what he's saying. What he's saying is, I'm reading this, and sometimes it can be very, very difficult for me to do. I'm here to tell you that reading the Bible is a long process. There's no shortcuts for it. You have to learn a lot in order to make sense of the scriptures because you're learning so much about individuals and situations in their lives and things that are ancient. And even the way the scriptures are written at times are you know, somewhat difficult to understand. Can I give you two resources today that I use, I will even say daily. I'm using these things daily in my life and I'm encouraging you to dial into these resources because they're so helpful. Here they are on the screen. I want to cover them one at a time. On the left-hand side is the Bible app. It's just called the Bible. If you go to your app store and do the Bible, that's the one that comes up. It's sponsored by a group called YouVersion. It's been downloaded now more than 350 million times around the world. There is, I looked it up this week, 1,186 languages covered in the Bible app. So if you're in any part of the world today, you're likely to be able to get a Bible that is closer in a language to you. Uh, it's, uh, again, very powerful for us because we've got most of the English translations that are covered in the Bible app. But this is not, that's not the big part. The big part that I use it for is I choose a reading plan and I have that reading plan that it now comes up every day and tells me, this is your reading plan for today. Very helpful for me. And I think you know this about me. I've said this before, but I oftentimes have the scriptures read to me. And my favorite voice is Max McLean. I've said that before also, but I'll say it again because I love Max's voice. And I have the scriptures read to me. I read along with it, but I have them read to me. And that's just a powerful way for the scriptures to just flow over me every day. Now, many times I'm, again, paying attention to specific things and saying, hey, what's going on here? And I'll go look something up. But other times I'm just saying, wow, okay, that's a familiar story for me, but I'm letting that wash over me again, and I'm considering that. Use the Bible app. 
You know, you, you can use a lot of things, but the Bible app will help keep you consistent. And it'll tell you, you know, hey, you've missed a few days here. And it'll help you to stay consistent in having the Bible become very real in your lives. There's another one that I want to promote, and it is the Bible Project. Many of you have been to the website that's the Bible Project. All their videos are also on YouTube. And here's what they've done. They've taken every book of the Bible, and they've given a little short video, usually like three to six minutes, that tells you about that book. Who's written that book? Why did they write that book? Who did they write to? What are some big themes that are in that book? It is impossible to go read a book like Ezekiel, and if you don't know anything about the author or anything about the situation in which it's being written, it's difficult to make sense of that. And so the Bible Project has taken something very complicated and said, hey, let's introduce you to some of the things that are going on here to make this reading that you can do. If you're not using something like the Bible Project or a good introduction to books of the Bible, you're going to have a lot of difficulty, and this is just an easy way. They've also covered major themes of the Bible in the Bible Project. So again, what a resource, and like nothing we've ever had before. And if you're not availing yourself of that, you're really missing out. Jesus said this, man does, a man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the book will never cease to amaze us. It will never cease to inspire us or describe us or cut us at times. But all of those things are what the scriptures are there for, is for our walk in godliness, our walk and our desire to know Christ and be conformed to his image. So we use the scriptures, and that's one thing that we are devoted to along with the early church. The second touch point is uh, they're devoted also to fellowship. And we covered fellowship a lot last week, so I'm not really going to go into that much this week. The point I want you to hear is that fellowship is not merely going to a potluck. Now, I love potlucks. I love eating at potlucks. I love mixing up potlucks. But when we talk about fellowship, we're talking about something that is a step deeper than that. It means to truly experience life with somebody else. And perhaps that's why community groups are so important because if I said today, just go experience community with all 200 of you, you'd have a little difficulty in doing that. You'd have a difficulty in hearing about everybody's story and entering in where there's problems or difficulties. But if I said, here are 12 to 15 people, now stay with them over every week for a period of time, you'd have a much better shot at actually experiencing community or fellowship within that group because you know the story and you're able to share with that with each other. And I can't tell you the number of times in which a community group has met the needs of somebody in a very time of crisis. And they've just responded almost immediately. In fact, if there ever is a crisis within the church, one of the first things we ask is, is that person a part of a community group? Because if they are, that's the group that's going to be the tip of the spear in helping those individuals at that moment in time. So if you're not involved in a community group, consider that. Because it's a very active way to experience that second aspect of devotion, which is fellowship one with another. Third, and the third thing that's a touch point for the early church is breaking bread. The phrase, the breaking of bread, certainly meals means that they're sharing meals with each other. And I love the way that Tom and Karen said that. Well, you know, hey, and we do love food. And, you know, there's, there's just food that's always a part of what we're doing uh, together that is something that's important. But I think they're also saying something in the breaking of bread that was probably well understood in the early church. They were not just eating meals with each other, but they were also experiencing communion. 
And that all happened within the context of the church. What happened is they normally had a meal together, and then at the end of that meal, they shared communion one with another, which was the very pattern that they had seen Jesus do with them. Jesus had a meal with his disciples before he turned the corner and did pass the bread and the cup around and said this was his body and his blood given to them. So the church is united around not just eating meals, but also communion one with another. And food ends up being this very intimate side of what they are doing. Special things happen in human relationships around a dinner table. You all know that. In fact, I I think about a couple things in life. Can you imagine a wedding reception with no food? I mean, you'd all be like, I mean, hey, what just happened here? If they they needed some money, they could have told me I would have given them some. Because, you know, we need food at this, this festivity. Can you imagine doing something like Thanksgiving this year and telling your family, but we're not going to have a meal. You know, we're, we're going to fast that day. I mean, your, your family would be an active revolt because again, there's something that just goes with that holiday that you eat too much. I mean, it's the time of the year that we just, you know, eat way too much. And so again, there's this intimate connection between meals and our fellowship one with another. Now I realize that COVID has perhaps uh, you know, truncated that in some ways and slowed us down in some ways. But I think what it's done is it's also caused us to get very creative. I love one of the men's group I learned about during the course of this year. And they realized it was maybe a little bit uh, difficult to be inside one with another. So they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to a picnic table that's outside of Top Pot Donuts in Edmonds. And we're going to meet outside each week, uh, distance as it were. But we're going to have a donut and we're going to enjoy each other uh, over the picnic table. I know other groups got into backyards and they maybe brought their own dinners. And so again, they were being careful in that way. But they said, we just want to be together so much. We want to share a meal together so much that we'll just do that over a picnic table in the backyard. Coming into a very difficult time of the year, perhaps, to do that with it becoming cold. But my point is that there's ways to creatively go about that, even in the midst of a pandemic. And here's what I want you to know. We are coming back into a time, this pandemic is going to get behind us, and we're going to establish that rhythm again. And sharing food with each other will always be a part of the church. Always. I mean, that's just something that we do, and we do well, and we enjoy, and it's part of the fellowship we have one with another. I love what Richard Blisse said. This is what he said in a quote. He said, Never trust a Christian fellowship where Christians regularly worship together but don't like to eat together or where they eat together but neglect worship. And so he's saying both sides of that are part of a healthy church, a healthy atmosphere of worship, of reverence for the Lord, but also the ability to just say, we want to share life together. And one of the aspects of doing that is with breaking bread, which is, again, meals together. The fourth touch point is prayer. And by this, he certainly means private prayer, but he also means some aspect of public prayer together. Probably some of the prayer was in homes again because they were meeting together in homes. But some of the prayer was actually also at the temple courts. And so they were still going to the temple where they were meeting very regularly and they were praying very regularly. And I think they probably were meeting in a part of the temple which was called Solomon's Colonnade or Solomon's Porch. I've got a picture here of a model of what the ancient temple looked like. And you'll notice that there's all that column section that's back there off the main courtyard. And that, that, that colonnade section is called again Solomon's Colonnades. Why? Solomon is the one who uh, designs and builds the original temple. 
And those columns there are a make, a, make a kind of a porch or a, a walkway. And so groups could go in underneath the sun and the scorch of the day and they could meet together and they could pray together and just get ready to go to, 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 the, to the sacrifice area. And so again, that was an active part of the temple. The early church said, we're going to use that. And so they would show up and they would hold meetings there and, and gather together there for a prayer together. And so that was one aspect of their, 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 their prayer that they had with each other. Prayer was formal for them and prayer was very informal for them. Formal meaning that there was prayer services that they had, but informal meaning that they just at a moment's notice could pray together or pray again in their private lives. And so again, that was an active part of the church was prayer. And any healthy church, that will be an active part. Can I take you back? I need to take you back a few years ago. Some of you know this story and some of you don't. Some of you lived this story. And if you did, you'll remember back to this time. We built the ministry center across the street and that was the point at which we entered into a long-term agreement with the ECA for the use of this space. But we knew we needed a building across the street. It had formerly been, well, a lot of things, but at one point was a high school, uh, piece of the high school that was here. It was a, a wood shop and it was a lot of things. But we bought that and said, we have got to renovate that space and make it space for our church and kind of the seven-day-a-week time use of the church. This is kind of the one-day use of the church over here. And so again, we needed a space where we could just kind of hang shop and, and, and do Bible studies and, and have men's ministry and women's ministry and kids and all the rest. And that was needed across the street. Well, we came to the spot of concluding that building time and we said, you know, what would really be good? What, what would really be appropriate for us to do at this time? And we said, you know what? Prayer. We need to earnestly pray. And so we took the prayer room of the ministry center and we set it up to be a spot where people came on hour-long shifts and they came for a full week and made uh, arrangements to come into that space to pray. And here's the other thing that we did in that space. We read the book all the books of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation out loud, so that we had a Bible in there. It was, I remember it was a big, one of those, you know, tabletop Bibles, and you picked it up, and you can read it, and then there was a bookmark, and you put your bookmark down on a little post-it note where you left off, and then the next person came in and picked up, and they read. And that was what we did for a week, and guess what? It was so successful over a week that we extended it to a second week. And that's how much prayer was needed and was a part of the life of our church in those pivotal moments of, of us saying we're moving spaces and we want the space to be dedicated to God. I say that because I love that time, but I'm also asking, I guess, the question to myself and maybe the question to you, do we still have the will to do something like that? Would we sacrifice in that way? Would we come to a space and say, you know, it's an inconvenient time at 2 a.m., but you know, I want to meet the Lord. And I'm hoping that that kind of desire, that kind of spiritual fervor unction to be used as a word perhaps is still among us and that we would desire to serve the Lord and know the Lord at that deep way. Uh, if, if we turn the corner, we do something like that. I'm hoping that all of us are saying, I want to be on board for that and I want to pray and I want to care for the life of the church in that way. All right. The fifth one is care for each other. That is the touch point is care for each other. And we learned earlier in the passage that they were uh, selling goods that they had, uh, selling land that they had. We know that as a biblical example, that, that uh, several people sold land in order to be able to give to the needs of the church at that time. And again, they were needing uh, food needs, housing needs, perhaps clothing needs for the individuals that stayed on from many parts of the world. And their church eagerly sold their possessions to be able to do that. 
Um, now, again, I want to remind you that selling of possessions was not mandatory. Nobody had to do that. They were not required to do that. But the selling of the possessions happened because love was there, because love was needed, and it was being called for. And so people voluntarily and very eagerly did that. And any time a healthy church is operating, there must be a time of sharing and generosity that is a part of that fellowship. It's a part of that church. And by the way, I just tell you, I think CCF has excelled in that area. Over a lot of years, we have risen up to meet needs as they come, and we have become very known for that even, as that we are individuals who have a generous streak, and I love that. I think that's evidence of the gospel and evidence of Christ among us. Can I give you an example of that that's happened very recently? Many of you have participated in this. I have got a picture in one of the rooms at the ministry center right now, and it is filled with all kinds of kits that are for Afghan families that are arriving to us very soon. Some of them are already here. They're arriving with a very uh, good organization called World Relief, who is used by the government in order to host these families that are coming into our area. Many of them, again, are special visa holders that were friends of, again, the United States in Afghanistan. Now they're arriving here with their families, and they have nothing. Imagine you got on an airplane with a backpack. That's what you've got. Or maybe one suitcase, but you're far from everything that you owned in your home. They've walked away from that life. They're entering a new life. And so again, we are helping them by putting together kits that are parts of kitchens, are parts of, uh, again, linens that they need, uh, things that they need in order to get a house going. And all of those kits that you see there have been donated by, by you. And they've also been donated by a few from individuals within the community. We were in My Edmonds News. And so some individuals from the community just said, I saw that and knew it was just right to do. And so they've showed up with these kits. We've actually got so many that we think we're going to have to have a U-Haul truck to get them down there because they're just, you know, they're everywhere. And so again, a very, very generous uh, 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 outpouring that you've had for that. And it's a demonstration, again, of when we are devoted one to another, there is a side of sharing in each other's needs. There's a side of, of generously helping each other, and that's the sign, again, of a healthy church is when she's automatically caring for each member. All right, there's one more I want you to see. And the final thing I want you to see is that uh, the final touch point is outreach. And I get this from verse 47. Verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number day by day. So again, I want you to look very carefully at that. The Lord added to their number day by day. Peter was not adding to their number. James, the leader of the church, was not adding to their number. Mary and Martha were not adding to their number. Who was adding to their number? The Lord was adding to their number. And the church was not so preoccupied with all these other things of prayer or learning or sharing or all the other things that were happening that they didn't also have a level of witnessing. And they were outpouring with outreach into the area and people were very well aware of what was happening in the early church. And let me tell you, it was probably not a very difficult environment to invite people into. I mean, who would not be... a uh, desirous of being a part of a group that had such love for each other. There was healings going on. There was, again, this resurrected Christ was so real among them that everybody could just pr practically feel it. It was, it was in the air. I also want you to know that it says that the Lord here was adding to their number, meaning adding to the church those who were being saved. Salvation and church participation, while they were just linked together, and again, beware of anybody who says that they're a follower of Christ, but they're not connected to any local body. Beware of that, because that is abnormal Christianity. 
It's foreign to every New Testament example and teaching. And so again, it may be very vogue today to say, you know, I'm too cool to be a part of any local church, but I do follow Jesus. But that's not, that's not normal. It's not the normal way that Christianity happens around the world. I love what D.L. Moody says. This is one of his quotes. He says, church attendance is, not, is, a, is as vital to disciple as transfusion of rich, healthy blood to a sick man. He says, that's how, that's how vital church life is for all of us as disciples. We need that in order to be infused daily for our walk with the Lord. And we get detached from that and something atrophies on the inside of us. Well, that's what it was like in the early church is that it was so riveting that it was an outflow of their daily lives. They just normally talked with everybody around them about what they were experiencing. And I'm wondering again about our lives and I'm wondering about things that we naturally just talk about. You know, one of the things I naturally talk about with individuals is podcasts. I love podcasts, and I tell people about podcasts. I'd be like, hey, you know, have you heard the latest Planet Money? That's one of my favorite ones. Or have you learned about, uh, I, I listen to one called The Journal, and about things that are kind of happening around the world. And I find information from that because I, you know, I'm interested in that. So it's easy for me to talk about that. I wonder about something that's easy for you to talk about. Maybe it's a, a, a restaurant that you've recently went to, or a recipe that you've tried, or again, an app on your phone that you've tried that you really like. Maybe there's all kinds of things. Uh, something that's happening at school that you're telling people about. I wonder if it could be as easy to talk about the church or to talk about Christ with those individuals. Like, for instance, somebody said, what happened with you this weekend? Maybe you'd say, well, you know something that happened that was really, that was really a joy to me was to go to church and to worship. It was, it was alive. There was something happening there that was very good. I think we talk about things that we love. And if we're not talking about something that we love as much as the Lord, then what's happening in our inner experience? There's maybe something that is awry there because, again, there's something reflexive that we talk naturally about the things that we love and the things that we care about. All right, let's bring this to a conclusion. Here's what I'd like to do with you today. I would like to give the entire list of all six things up here so you can see them all at once. I'd like for you to look at that list and I'd like for you to pay attention to what you're excelling at. No doubt, there's some things that you're saying, man, I am on lockdown on that. I've got that covered and I'm doing that quite well. There may be one or two on that list that you're saying, I'm not excelling at, as much at. And it's a natural time as we come into the fall to say, what are some things that have to change for me? What are some things that I want to do new? What are some things that I want to approach? And if there's some things on that list that you're saying, I'm not doing as well and I'd like to improve in, then what would help you improve in that? Maybe there's some up there that you're like, if I had a community group, that would really help me a lot to have some individuals that I pray with or individuals I care for. Maybe you're saying, I, I, I want to break some bread with some individuals, again, in a, in, a, in a creative but healthy way. And so maybe a community group would help you with that. Maybe you're needing to double down on your own quiet time, time that you're spending with the Lord every day. And you're saying, I need to make sure that that becomes a habit for me, a part of my rhythm. And so maybe that's a place where I need to double down. Maybe there's some individuals that you need to be in a prayer group with. And so you, you're just saying, man, prayer is something I, I really want to grow in and I want to learn more about. What is it that you need for this year? And begin to make some tracks. Begin to lay some plans for how you would improve in these things that are standard devotions, standard touch points for church, the church over so many years. We're going to take a moment here and we're going to pray.
And I want you to thank God for your salvation, but I want to thank God that he's also said he's provided everything that you need to lead a life of godliness. Everything. Every spiritual resource that you will need. It's a matter of us taking those spiritual resources and leaning into them. And so again, I'm charging you today to consider where you're at and to take the steps forward that you're needing in order to grow in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the scriptures once again. And we say that is one touch point for us that is a non-negotiable. We will love the scriptures and we will love your word and attempt to apply it to our lives. I'm also praying for my friends here today. All of us want to lead lives that honor you and all of us want to grow into purity and holiness. And so I'm praying, Lord, that the touch points we've talked about today would be touch points for our church now and that we would all be taking steps forward to say, this is how it's manifest for me. This is what it looks like in the rhythm of my life. Lord, help us now to be able to make life change with the power of your Holy Spirit and help us to love each other well in the midst of this entire time. We love you. and We love the koinonia that we share with you and with each other. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.